for tuning in to the 427th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, as always, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Air Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast, camper platform, you may be listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Going to have a great podcast for you guys. Going to have a vault pod. With my guy Eli Weisberger and Silas Garrison on. They have a discussion about analytics as it pertains to Nikola Jokic. Likely to win MVP. That hasn't come out yet. But I think that's something we all anticipate in the NBA world. As well as Rudy Gobert. uh, His defensive player of the year legitimacy as it uh, pertains to analytics. All NBA team. We talk about that as well. uh, And get a lot of other NBA discussions too. Really enjoyed. uh, Three-way pod. now, it wasn't that kinky, though, folks, but a three-way pod we had. One of my first three-way podcasts. Uh, so it was a fun time indeed. Now, before we get to that conversation, I'm going to give my shameless plug, as always. First-time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Red Threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. Click on the timestamp, and it will send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter, at nighttrain underscore lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane and you will find it. I post 35-minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, Mother's Day's coming up. So everybody, get your mom a Mother's Day gift. Because you know she's not going to be happy if you don't. I know sure as hell my mom's not going to be happy if I don't get her a Mother's Day gift. And speaking of moms, and my mom in particular... Elena Renee Lane, Dr. Elena Renee Lane. Let's put some authority on her name. You know what she always told me? She said, Daryl, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Which is why, for some odd reason, if you don't like this podcast, don't say anything. Don't say a negative word about it, but if you love it, because I know you will. And if you have Apple or iTunes... Give me five stars and a fantastic review. And now it's time for one of my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so very much. So I want to pose this to you guys. So let's think about this. We all have insecurities. You have insecurities. I have insecurities. How you look in the morning, how you dress, how your hair looks, uh, how your breath smells. How people view you, just in general. All of these thoughts, you know, they all run through our head, whether it's every day, every once in a while. They all come through our mind at some point. You can't tell me you've never had an insecurity. You can't. If you've never had an insecurity, you're literally not human. We all have insecurities. And a lot of these insecurities stem from, I think, you know, am I good enough? Can I do this? What will this person think of me? Now, these insecurities can be amplified in certain situations. For example, you're dating somebody, and the ex comes around, and you're like, oh, I'm starting to compare myself to them. Oh, my gosh, is she going to leave me for her ex-boyfriend, right? Those are That's an example of how insecurities can come out. Or somebody comes to your job, and you have to train them, and you kind of know that they're here to eventually replace you. That can lead to a lot of insecurities. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What am I doing wrong? And cause anxiety. Is my family going to have to move? Et cetera, et cetera. So when Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill says he doesn't think it's his job to mentor Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty, he's damn right. It's not his job. Imagine this. You're working at a company. They tell you to train one of the interns. And then you get fired due to cost control. And they hire the intern because he or she is cheaper. And that intern replaces you. 
and you're supposed to just train him? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what they say, mom ain't raised no fool. That's kind of crazy. Ryan is right. His job is not to mentor Malik Willis. You know what Ryan Tannehill's job is? It's to win football games for the Tennessee Titans. It's to help them win a Super Bowl. To help them win the division. To help them win an AFC championship. That's what his job is. To convert on third and ten. That's what his job is. His job is not to mentor the backup QB. There's no mentor the backup QB clause in his contract. At least I don't think. Maybe if it is, I could be wrong. But I don't think that's part of the contract. He doesn't get a bonus for helping Malik Willis. Because if he got a bonus, then I'd be like, yeah, it's kind of your job. It's going to help you, right? Bonus. Like in sales, you get bonuses for reading for reaching certain benchmarks, right? In sales, you get, a bench, you get bonuses in your pay for reaching a certain benchmark. This isn't that. Malik Willis is not the benchmark that's going to get him a bonus. Probably coming to every single training camp or something like that or throwing for 40 touchdown passes. Those are bonuses NFL players get. Mentoring is not a bonus. Right? All he has to do is this. Be professional. If there's a question about the game plan, you tell him. But you don't have to treat him any differently than than the third string QB. You don't. You just make sure they're both ready. But you're not telling them the secrets of the trade. You're not telling them how to beat you out. You're not telling them every little thing that goes through your mind that can make them the best they possibly can be. You're not doing that. That's a coach's job. That's the quarterback coach's job. That's the head coach's job. That's the offensive coordinator's job. That is not the player's job. It's really not. Everyone talks about, you know, being the mentor in sports. But you want to know what the funny thing is when everybody says, oh, you should be a mentor. It's being a good teammate. Nobody actually wants to be in the situation where their job is on the line and they have to mentor the person. Right? Think about this. Nick Saban. He mentored Kirby Smart, now head coach of Georgia. He mentored Kirby Smart to be a head coach someplace else. Not to replace him at Alabama. Right? I mentor you to go someplace else and be successful. Not to take my job at my school and what I have and what I have built. Mike Krzyzewski, John Shire is going to be the next head coach of Duke basketball. Mike Krzyzewski mentored John Shire. But you want to know what? You want to know what about that? What's so interesting? Mike Krzyzewski was retiring. He's 70 plus years old. He was retiring and handed the reins to John. It wasn't like, oh, I'm in the middle of my prime. I'm 50 years old. John, you want to come take my job? No, that's not how it works. No one wants somebody to take their job. When everybody always talks about this, everybody's always speaking from, you know, uh, the outside looking at like, oh, be a good teammate. Oh, be a good guy. When you realize that if you were in that exact same situation, you would never train somebody else to take your job. There are very few men and women that have it in them to do that. Alex Smith did that for the Kansas City Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes came in. Alex Smith is one of the nicest guys in the NFL. Not everybody in the world is that nice. Not everybody in the world is that nice. You know who you do that type of stuff for? Your son or your daughter. That's how you're that nice. You're not that nice to some random dude you just met. You're professional. You don't have to be all buddy-buddy. You're professional. They have a question, you'll answer it. Not toxic, but professional and cordial. That's all he has to do. His job is not to make Malik Willis the franchise QB, the future franchise QB of the Tennessee Titans. His job is to help Tennessee win right now. And coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Eli and Silas on the show. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have 
two special guests with us, Eli Weisberger and Silas Garrison. And I thought it'd be interesting because I know both of you guys and I know you guys see things a little bit differently in terms of analytics and how it works as uh, it pertains to the NBA. I know Eli values analytics a lot. That's one of the first conversations I remember when me and Eli first met. <laughs> and uh, Eli definitely likes analytics, and I know for no excitement for as long as I have, he is not necessarily a fan. So I- I'm going to start with Silas. Just explain to me and explain to Eli, explain to everybody why you're not as high on analytics. Awesome. So, yeah, so number one, Dean, thank you for having me on the pod again. It's been a while, so definitely love coming on the show. Um, So I just want to make this very clear. I am in no way saying that the analytics are not valuable. That's not what I'm saying. So I, I, I don't want that to be the narrative. Where I take issue to analytics is when analytics is served as, 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 um, should win an award or how specifically somebody's playing. I feel like you should use that with the eyeball test. Nine times out of ten, um, when somebody watches something and they take the analytics into consideration, the analytics help make better sense of things. I'll give you a good example. Like when somebody's in a courtroom, right, uh, a lot of attorneys will tell stories. And the stories might not necessarily uh you know, relate it completely to the case, but in a roundabout way, it helps jurors make sense of things, right? So that's the way I look at analytics. Like, if you are talking about some of the best players in the league and all of their statistics are genuinely close to each other, and then you're like, yeah, but analytically, this person is doing, you know, X, Y, Z, then I think that that's more of a rich argument to bring up analytics because it helps people make sense of things of how, you know, elite somebody's really playing from a statistical point of view. I think that that is a very... uh, very, very accurate and, and, and intelligent way to look at analytics. Where I take, where, where I lose my, where I, where, I, where I get frustrated with analytics is when we put so much uh, um, uh, status into analytics that we almost are willing to, um, we're almost willing to lie on what our eyes are telling us. We're, we don't want to rely on what our eyes are telling us. Some of us don't want to rely on that, and we would rather focus on analytics so i just wish that we would take both into into you know fit both into their proper perspective eli how do you feel about analytics as it pertains to the nba do you think it's overused used enough needs to be used more um right now i i think in you know media circles and uh writing circles i think analytics are used a good amount uh i don't think they're used enough in um front offices in the NBA. I think a, a few front offices are very forward analytically, and, you know, there's obvious ones like um, the Thunder, the, the Rockets, the Sixers, and the Warriors uh, are all pretty analytically forward. But um, about the eye test, the eye test can also deceive you. I mean, there, there are analytics that are, are, are can deceive you as well, but I don't think we should act like the eye test is some infallible measurement of uh, players' value because you can you miss things uh, with your eyes as well. I would I would completely agree with what Eli is saying. Um, I will give one example. Um, that of, of somebody who I respect a lot, but I've also been critical of, is uh, our late legendary uh, uh, great Kobe Bryant. Um, from an analytical standpoint, I think Eli would agree with me that Kobe Bryant isn't all that great of an analytical. Uh, um, um, he's he's not an analytical person's dream. Uh, I think that's putting it nicely, to be honest. But um, when people see him play, uh, everybody would be like, "Oh my God, Kobe Bryant." he's a star, which he absolutely is. But I think you would also make the argument that many people in analytics will probably say the same thing, is that, well, how efficient was he, right? And if you're not all that efficient, and, and, and especially if you're not taking shots in, you know, in, in the proper place or what may have you, 
even though those shots might be going in, those might not be high percentage shots. You might not, uh, you know, want to encourage anybody else to take that shot. Not to mention efficiency, uh, and the efficiency of it might not be there. So, um, I would make an argument. For example, like Kobe Bryant, when we look at him, I think he has a very a titillating game. Like a lot of people would really enjoy watching him play. But two things can be true. You can be very exciting. You might also not, and the, the numbers might not necessarily bear how productive you were out analytically. However, the argument that I would make to that as well would be, for example, um, a Rudy Gobert, who has won four defensive players of the year. And, and to, to much of that, I would make an argument is because analytically, he is very, uh, I, I, I would say most, most people would agree with me that analytically he is very, very sound. But the problem is, you know, then we see him in the playoffs, for example. And for the past two playoffs, it's very difficult to play Rudy Gobert down the stretch. So that's why I'm saying, like, I agree with both. I, I, I think that you just need to take both into, into the proper perspective. I never said analytics aren't useful. And in the beginning, when I talked, I also said that the eyeball test should be used with the analytics. I don't think it's I don't think it's a I don't think it's either or. I think it's both that are important. Eli, would you say that Rudy Gobert is an example of how analytics can deceive you? No, I, I wouldn't because uh, Rudy Gobert is the best uh, defender in the NBA, uh, in my opinion, and I think he doesn't actually get exposed in the playoffs. And I think. What really gets exposed in the playoffs is that the Jazz don't have any competent perimeter defenders. I mean, you, if you watch the even one game, the game last night against the Mavericks, uh, it's just one play that uh, a microcosm of the Jazz perimeter defense, where Spencer Dinwiddie just drives right past Donovan Mitchell, no contact, no resistance, easily gets to the rim for a layup, and. Like I said, it's just a microcosm of the Jazz perimeter defense. They don't have anyone who can stay sturdy on the perimeter. So Gobert has to do literally everything. And that's just too much for anyone to ask of anyone. So I do not think analysts are deceiving. I also think he's great um, in the eye test as well. Will be your response. Okay. Well, yeah, I would. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really know too. And, and, and let me and let, and let me say this just just for the interest of full transparency, so everybody's very clear. Um, I have not spent my entire the entire season watching Rudy Gobert. So, like, I, I will I will completely defer that. What I what I will say is that I've seen enough of Rudy Gobert to know that, especially the eyeball test would would bear out that in terms of him guarding perimeter defenders. He does not do that at a high level. I'm not the only one who's who's who said that before. And in terms of, you know, like how like how um, you know, we were talking about earlier front offices. Well, I mean, it is it's a fact that Rudy Gobert uh, for the past two seasons, it was very difficult to play him down the stretch and if he is And the stretch you're talking about in the stretch of the postseason, correct? Yes, in the postseason, in the postseason, in the postseason. And if well, and, 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 go, and just really quick just
there's also only so much he can do. One player cannot carry a defense in the playoffs. So wouldn't that be even more of a reason why Rudy Gobert should be able to play at all times? Like the fact that we can't play you down the stretch because we don't have good perimeter defenders and people are just, you know, blowing by you. Isn't that even more of a reason why we need Rudy Gobert? No, because they're blowing by him. Blowing by them. Then Gobert comes to help, and then they kick out to an open three. Because Gobert left his man to help to protect the rim because he would rather give up an open three than an open layup. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, in this in this day and age, I, I would say that that the safest bet is to give up the two instead of three, if you ask me. No, they, and, 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 and analytically, I would be right, correct? Right, right. No, Wouldn't I be right? No, you would not rather give up uh, an open layup over an open three. Well, if there are tens of the shot going in. Okay. Repeat that one more time, Eli. What? Repeat that one more time. In terms of the two versus the three. also possible because of his offense would you say that's also a reason why he's then because if like if you can't stop anybody then you're gonna need to score no no So I wait. What I want to say. So Eli, what you're saying is. Eli, what I want to ask you is, do you think it helps or hurts the Jazz when they bench him in the fourth quarter? I think it hurts. I think it hurts them. So, so you agree that it's the wrong decision to begin with? So you think yeah. it's the wrong decision to begin with? Okay. I do think it's the wrong decision to begin with. Also, in game one, you know, there were multiple times where Brunson was switched on to Gobert in the post, and his, his teammates would just refuse to pass him the ball. That's bad team basketball. That's bad coaching. And, uh, you know, I think this, everybody knows the stat by now, but Mitchell averages only two passes to Gobert a game. Not two assists, but two passes. Why do you think they're not passing Rudy Gobert the ball? Why do you think? 
you think because they don't want to win? Or? I just said bad coaching, bad, bad team basketball. So you, th- so you, okay, so he's not getting the, bo- oh, okay. So how many touches do you think Rudy should be getting a game? I, I think, just, I, I just, it's just a rough any, estimate. Any time he has a mismatch on him up in the post, I think should, they should give him the ball. So anytime a non-big is on him, so anytime they get a non-big switched upon him, he should be getting the ball. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I won't. I won't. I'll stay. I'll stay on the defensive side of the ball because that's what this man is winning all these defensive players of the year for. What I would just say is, I would make an argument that it that like like the, what it sounds like to me, and I'm not and I'm not in, I'm not trying to accuse anybody of anything. So you can definitely argue against this. What I would say is, it it, it sounds more like. Um, we're, we're saying that the that the that the um, that the Jazz don't like Rudy Gobert. That's it, it. Seems like that's, that's more of the argument. Like, yeah, I feel like it, it is true that the Jazz don't like him. And also that stems yeah. from the you know there was the whole COVID thing with Donovan. There's yeah. some other stuff. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay. Now, yeah. I, okay. All right. Then we're and, it's, and maybe we can move on from it because we're just going to disagree. I, I think I think at the end of the day, like they they just want to win games. And I don't think that it has anything to do with the fact that they don't like each other. Like, I, I, I don't think that. And it's not just Donovan. I, I think you guys would agree with me. It's not just Donovan who does passing the ball. Like, he doesn't get his touches from an entire team. In fact, if you really feel like he deserves those touches, it doesn't just come from Donovan. And then as it pertains defensively, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I don't even know what to say because, again, there should never be a reason. I mean, are the coaches not playing him down the stretch because they just don't like him? I mean, I don't, I don't think... That I think he's saying it's more incompetence as well. I think he's talking about teammates. I think you're, you're talking about it's more incompetence with the coaching, Eli, right? It's incompetence. Right. Like, again, this is not just analytics. Like, for example, when Frank Vogel decides he wants to start DeAndre Jordan, that's incompetence. Will we not all agree? Yeah, agree. obviously. But <laughs> it's not just analytics. Like, So you're saying if like Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart, like a Matias Stiebel, those type of guys were on the Jazz? Yes. Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because they're, they're couldn't I say that for anybody though? The Jazz, the Jazz defensive game plan is Rudy do everything, do everything for us. Rudy save us. That's their defensive game plan, and nobody can do that. No, not one player in the NBA can defend for everyone on the team. So my my question you wait no no wait wait my question for you Eli is this would this same thing uh, ring true let's say Joel Embiid was in this situation guys that we call great defensive bigs uh, Anthony Davis uh, the last few years uh, a Bam Adebayo guys like that would that same thing happen to them where you know if they're surrounded by bad no. rim defenders they would get run off too no because Embiid gives the averages thirty points a game so. Same with Anthony Davis, he can average 30. Well, notwithstanding the offense, I, I guess that's what my point is why they're also benching, right? Because if you can't stop them, then you want more people who can score the ball. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is you're saying, I'm talking about defensively. Yeah, 
I'm talking about defensively in terms of. think Rudy Gobert does that makes him special defensively, Eli? I mean, he's the best rim protector in the league and rim deterrer in the league. But I'm not even I'm not even going to argue that. Like, I, 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 even if I agree with that, then, then there's no rationale at all under any circumstance why then you should bench your superstar player down the stretch. It, 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 that is irrefutable. So, like, yeah, and, 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 I, and I'm saying... I don't think he should, think he should be benched. I think they should get him the, the damn ball. When, when, but, he, when he has Galen Brunson on him in the post. But if, but if they don't play him down the stretch for two seat, these, these are two playoff runs that he didn't play down the stretch. So it's like you can't be right. He did I'm play not saying. Down the stretch against the Clippers. He did. During the, uh, the Clippers, the Clippers, the Clippers, the Clippers. I don't think. I, well, let me. Well, I, okay, I won't. I won't go there because I don't. I'm going to be honest. I don't really remember that series all that much, so I don't really want to say that. But even this year. If you're losing, but mind you, to a to a to a to a Mavericks team without Luka Doncic, like that is telling to me that then they're like, hey, let's not let like, hey, we're losing and we're supposed to be winning the series without the Don. Hey, I know what we're gonna do. Let's bench Rudy. Like that's like, I mean, I and and, and the argument is like that's incompetence on the coaching. If that if 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 if, Luke, if Rudy Gobert is what you say he is, then that's not incompetence. On the coaching, that's like that's like sabotage on the on the on the on on the on the Utah Jazz. That's sabotage because that means you're purposely trying to lose. I already said the team is poorly coached. <laughs> yeah, but are they are they trying to sabotage their, their own chances of winning? Because that's what it is. If Rudy Gobert is what you think he is, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I'm going to say no. Okay, right. I, I think he's just I, saying they're just dumb. Like, like you know. Yeah. Two plus two equals right, well, twenty-one right, tonight. Right, well, I don't, well, okay, well, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say that I just don't think that they're dumb. I think that the owner and I think that management in general, they all have the blessing of the coach if, the, if, if that's what he wants to do down the stretch. That's what I think. I don't think you bench a superstar down the stretch and then people and then when you come to the podium and what, or when, you, when you're behind closed doors and people ask you why you did that, the only thing that you can say is, oh, well, well you know, I just thought, you know, it was going to be better for the team. And then people are just like, oh, yeah, okay, that works. Like, obviously, there were conversations that were being had about that. You're not just doing that or making a move like that with a superstar, as, as, as Eli would call him. You wouldn't be doing that sporadically. Okay. So, so, so I guess everybody in, I guess everybody in Utah is just dumb. Uh, I guess coaches don't make mistakes, then. I guess coaches are infallible. No, no, they make mistakes, but it's not a mistake to bench a superstar down the stretch. That's not a mistake. That's a conscientious decision. It's a mistake. So I, a, I, I want to go. Wait, wait. I, so I want to go to this uh, in terms of Nikola Jokic winning MVP because I think it's interesting too. Silas, you're of the mindset that you think that his MVP award uh, is not necessarily what people in the media see. And Eli, you mentioned this in the beginning. The analytics is used heavily in the media. I don't, Okay. No, I, I, I'm just making the point that you believe that most yeah. people in the media, they rely heavily on analytics. Silas, the point that you've made to me no, many I times is... You... I, I think that's a straw man. I think that's a straw man. I don't, I don't think that's the main reason uh, people are voting for Jokic as MVP. I don't think it's analytics. Okay, what Make do you your think? argument for why he is. Make your argument for why he is. Why, why would you... The team around, the team around him, with it, without, without, uh, without Jokic, that team is in the lottery, like bottom lottery. Like a bottom five team. If you take Embiid off the, the Sixers, they're still a playoff team, play-in team. The Nuggets aren't sniffing the play-in without Jokic. That's why. He's the MVP. Do you want me to go now, Daryl? Yes. Okay. I, I would say 
two things can be true. You can play on a poor team. You can also win. You can also be a good player to help that team win ball games. Um, I highly doubt. Just just for arguendo purposes, and at least I could say this for myself: if LeBron James this year had gotten the Lakers to the sixth seed with Russell Westbrook turning over the ball ten times a game, I would have never voted for him for MVP. I'll just leave it. And 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 the people called with they all just really quick, Eli, just really quick, Eli. Everybody who watches Barbershop Sports Talk knows that I stand by LeBron through thick and thin. There's no way if he was in the sixth seed this this year with everything that he had to deal with in Los Angeles, I would have voted for him for MVP. Just just for objectivity. I don't really I don't really care about this seed that that much. It's also only a difference of of three wins. It's only a difference of three wins. That's not a that's not a big enough gap for me to uh, give it to Embiid. Maybe okay. if it was maybe yep. if it was eight or to ten wins, then I would say, okay, we can't give this to Jokic. But but the team around him, and he only has three less wins. That's MVP to me. Okay, so all of their numbers are relatively, I'm not going to say identical because that's hyperbole. They're all around the same numbers, minus, minus uh, 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 Joker having, uh, I, I'm very impressed by his assist play, by the way. Like, I actually do like the fact that he passes the, the ball at such a high level. But when you look at the Don, for example, Giannis, Joel, they, uh, even Devin Booker, right? They all had very solid statistical uh, seasons. And I could make the argument that historically the MVP and whether you now now Eli maybe you feel like this is wrong, but historically it is undebatable that the majority of the people who win MVP it typically goes to the best player on the best team. Now I do think that there should be some nuance in that, but you would be hard pressed to find a lot of MVPs that win when we give out or you know that that, that win MVP when they're six seed or below. And I, I think, think that there's a reason for that. I think it used to be the best player on the best team. I don't think that's what it is anymore, and I don't think it should be the best player on the best team. Okay, let me let me let me. Okay, do you agree that the and, and maybe I should have put words in your mouth, so I apologize for doing that. Do you think that the MVP should be predicated? First of all, here's how I feel, Eli, because I know we've never had a conversation about this. I don't really care for the MVP that much to begin with because I feel like the MVP. Is like it's kind of it's it's like a straw man, so to speak. It's like yeah, two things can be true. Like you have a really good regular season, but then it really has no merit in the playoffs. When people can make an argument that that's when it really counts. So I wish that we would actually just start voting for the MVP later on in the season, like or in the playoffs, like at the end when everybody gets to tally their votes. Because I can make an argument that you know, for example, Giannis would have never won MVP the first time that he did when, you know, he had that flame out in the bubble. They would have never given him the MVP. And the same thing would have went for, I, I, in my opinion, probably would have been the same thing for Joker. And I feel like the, I feel like it's unfair that they have to have all of their votes, that these voters have to have all their votes in at the end of the regular season. Because as the playoffs come on, we get new information, especially when, when teams are like, like you said earlier, they're making different adjustments. So how do these quote-unquote MVP candidates, so-called MVP candidates, how are they going to adjust in the in the large in the biggest moments of their career in the playoffs, I wish they should be able to. T- I wish the voters would be able to take that into consideration before they give out MVPs. And if that hypothesis is true, then I don't think Joker would have won either MVP this year or or last year. Well, um, I have an opinion similar to yours regarding like the, the award itself. I, I do think the MVP, you know, the regular season MVP award should exist. I, I do. But I think instead of uh, a finals MVP award where we just give out an MVP for one series out of the whole playoffs, I think there just should be a playoffs MVP award where there's an MVP award for the, for the whole playoffs, not just for one series. I hear that. The only reason why I wouldn't say that is because I would, I would feel like if that happened, then more people would just like, like – Every time, it would just be the player who ends up winning the, the championship. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they would always just give it to the person. Yes, he wants a regular season award in a playoff. He wants to get rid of finals MVP for playoff MVP. That's all he's saying. In 2015, LeBron like, might have got it then. Actually, instead of Steph and it, no, LeBron might have got I it. And then I get to the point like, why watch the games? Which is what the NBA... You, you, you get what I'm saying, Daryl, right? Yeah, I guess you're saying the NBA, they don't want to devalue the regular season because they still want fans to, to pay tickets to go to the arena. They still want, you know, the, the big TV, uh, right. TV deal with TNT. They're, they're not trying to do that. All right, let me, let me just, hear, just hear me out on this point. And if you guys disagree, you guys disagree, and I respect it. Let's say that Giannis is having an MVP caliber season. And then let's say Joel Embiid is having an MVP caliber season. And they're just like this year, their statistics aren't all that off from each other. And they have a regular, they have relatively a similar, uh, um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Numbers and records, like it's everything similar. So then they end up facing each other in the playoffs, right? And one ends up going to the conference finals, and the other one ends up going home. Like I feel like the eighty-two games were taken into consideration in that, but now here we have a head-to-head matchup between two MVP candidates to see who's going to the conference finals. I feel like. I feel like the voters should be able to see more before they vote on the regular season because the, because the because the playoffs matter t- tremendously and at the same time a lot of times you you might have a flame out from a from you know a superstar player who's in potential MVP candidacy but then a, but then let's say the number 2 or number 3 person who was in the running for MVP they might have a run in the playoffs so where it was close in the regular season these other two people started shining in the playoffs so they take all of that into consideration now you could put in, in documents 
hey, when the voters come to vote, just so you guys know, you have to take this, like you, like you still have to put, like, you know, uh, the regular season into consideration. This is not meant to be a deterrent on the regular season. This is simply allowing you to have more information, i.e. considering the playoffs as well. So I, I, I still think uh, even if you put that, you know, in on put the, like, disclaimer, yeah. so it's on the ballot, uh, people are still going to go with the playoffs as the utmost importance. And that's why I think there should be two separate awards. So if the, so, let's so now let's make the let's make the the Joker argument. Let's say Joker was the six seed. Nah, let's not do that because that's tough. Let's say he was the four seed, and now Giannis was ahead of him, and Joel were ahead of him because they had and they had and they had that and they had better regular seasons. Like they had better regular seasons. But Joker, he just ended up getting them to the playoffs. Ended up getting to, getting him to a four seed. So he was a powerhouse in his own right. But but Joker and or but. Giannis and Joel are the one and the two. So now let's make this argument. Let's say that Joker goes on a run and goes to the finals, right? They've already had similar regular seasons. Joker didn't have as good as a regular season, but he gets to make a run in the playoffs. So now people are going to remember that run in the playoffs even more than they're going to remember that, that you know, let's say, let's say Giannis and Joel had better regular seasons. So I feel like that's, I'm just, I'm just saying like that's more information that voters get to have. And I think, and I think, I, I, honestly, I think voters would appreciate that. You know, the fact that, hey, we, not only did we get to see, you know, you in the regular season, we also got to see you in the, in the playoffs. Now, for example, like a Steph Curry, Remember when he won the unanimous MVP? He was going to win MVP air regardless of what happened. Uh, like, like that was that was unanimous. Well, MVP. actually, I mean, if you think about it, if we do that, does he win it in 2016? It's not unanimous anymore. I know uh, that. And also, that, that's very that's very anecdotal too. That's just one season. Oh well, I mean, I could go. I mean, I could go down the list if you want me to. I have no problem with doing that either because I because I definitely love talking about the MVP. I just think. That way, you're, you're still minimizing the importance of the regular season. His point is he does not want to minimize the regular season. Huh? He doesn't want to minimize the regular season. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't think you're, I don't think you're minimizing it. I, I, guys, I really don't. I don't think you're minimizing it if you do it that way because, yes, you're taking the playoffs into consideration. Well, well, wait, wait. Like, even if, what even percentage if would you like give this, it then? What per- like this, even if we did it like this, listen. Let's say that we let's say we voted on the regular season, and then you had a and then you had another vote at the end of the playoffs. And just do it like that then, and then and then so you're basically, you're basically saying what my idea is. No, no, I'm not. No, he's saying you combine the votes or something. That's what he's saying. Yes, that's exactly. Yes, I'm saying combine <laughs> the votes. So, so in the regular season, you every all the voters get to have a vote, and then you get to add an additional vote after the playoffs. At that point, though, I feel like it would be easier just to give them two separate awards. Yeah. Then, but I mean, I, I what do you mean? <laughs> it, it, it would be much easier to just give them separate awards since it's basically separate seasons, one regular season and one postseason. And I do, and I will say this: I do disagree with this, Silas. It would influence things. Steph Curry's unanimous MVP season does not happen in 2016 if we're taking everything into consideration. In fact, there would probably be a lot of LeBron votes that would be coming in. The, the unanimous MVP Dude, season does not... Definitely would have won. Okay, and Eli thinks that. But I'm telling you for sure, the unanimous MVP season in 16 does not happen. It doesn't. A unanimous MVP? Well, okay, but isn't that an indictment on Steph Curry, the fact that he went away in the playoffs? Not in the playoffs, in the, in the, in the finals, in the finals. But the point is, we had like no. almost 100 games of evidence, and then we're letting a series of seven games then take away the MVP. Hey, well... Not an indictment. He is, he is a regular season award. Which is why I'm saying that that would not. Ha- if you, if everybody voted unanimously for Steph Curry in the beginning of the in the, in the beginning of the playoffs, like before the playoffs started, he was unanimously MVP. That means he had over a hundred. He was 120 votes clear of anybody. Are you then telling me that LeBron would have won if they voted again? Because then that would that would mean that LeBron would then have to win. Unanimously, that that would not happen. He would not win unanimously MVP after that. 
if you're just voting twice, like Daryl said, you may as well just do different awards. No, that, no, because I because I want both to be taken into consideration in the, in one award. No, I'm saying he said it's it's easier on the math and the time just to say, okay, here's still the regular season award, then here's the playoff award. It makes it simpler, then we're just going to combine them. And what I'm trying to point out is if you voted at the beginning of the playoffs and said this is the, this is the MVP of the season, okay, and then you guys run through the playoffs, and then after the playoffs you then vote again, so that's either going to help your argument for, for MVP, or it, but it can't be a deterrent to it. You're either going to get more votes, or somebody else is going to get more votes. That's all it is. But it's not taking away any of the votes that you had from the regular season. I definitely think that's a fair way to oh, do Okay, it. now, Sus, I, I do want to go to this point now, to go back to the Joker thing. You made a point to me that you said Chris Broussard said, according to an analyst, I don't know specifically, you could probably elaborate this a little bit better than me, that he was one of the best offensive centers of all time. I just want you to give your thoughts to Eli about that. Well, yeah, so... so Chris Broussard, who, by the way, I, I respect deeply. He's one of my favorite columnists and analysts on TV. He said that um, if you look at, at uh, according to analytics, uh, let's see, he said Joker is in the conversation for the greatest offensive center in NBA history. And I feel like that was, that, that like when I hear something like that, when I hear something like that, if you only base it in analytics, that's when I'm like, okay, I really don't want to hear anymore about the analytic argument. I'm all for it until you tell me that. It's like the same argument, and by the way, and I'm, and I'm consistent, I would make the exact same argument when somebody says that, you know, Kobe Bryant is, you know, top five scorer of all time. It's like, yeah, you really can't say that because of how inefficient it was, and we make a conscientious effort to pay more attention to the efficiency today. Efficiency, like typically players who don't turn over the ball and players who are efficient, those are typically players who end up competing at a high level who, you know, you could make an argument are, you know, more impactful to their team. So I think both things need to be taken into consideration. But when he makes such a cavalier argument, categorically, to say that he's one of the greatest offensive scorers of all time, predicated solely on analytics. He said nothing about what you're seeing on the court. I feel like that's enough for me to say, okay, I don't want to hear any more about analytics. What analytics? What's that? He, uh, well, he just said, he, he, he just made a term, overall overall offensive play. Overall offensive Well, I'm sure play. Joker's like plus minus is PER. I mean, there's probably, you know. Plus, like, plus minus is not even an analytics. Okay, I, I can't speak on it because he didn't say he didn't he didn't say specifically. He just said analyze. Like he just threw it out there, which is another problem that I have. Like you threw that out there. That's a straw man too. <laughs> like, he doesn't even specify. Like, he, he just says analytics like as a blanket term. Like well, I don't know what. I don't know. Let me ask you a question, Eli. Is there a, is there is there a, is there a world in analytics where where Joker is considered one of the greatest offensive scorers in NBA history? Is there a place in analytics for that argument? No, not as a scorer, but as an overall offensive player, yes. Not as a scorer, though. Okay, well, sorry. As a playmaker plus scoring, but not not just scoring. Okay. That's why, that's why, that's why I'm confused, because there aren't really any analytics stats out there that paint Jokic as one of the best scorers ever. What about, well, he didn't say score in fairness. He said players, like one of the best offensive players in NBA history. At the center no, position. One of the best offensive yeah, centers at the center position. Yeah, well, no, nobody's arguing that. No, nobody on analytics side is arguing that. That he's one of the, that he is, that he's the greatest offensive center in NBA history? I didn't say the greatest. I, I no, that's wondered. what Chris Broussard said. Analytically, they could make that argument. That's what he said. And I'm saying that's, I well, think yeah, that's a tad bit severe. You, you can make the argument analytically, for sure. Okay, and, 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 that's, and that's why I'm saying when I hear something like that, and I'm objective about analytics. I don't want to hear anything about analytics after I hear that. Because there are so many, because there are players that I've seen at the center position where I'm like, okay, like, yes, I love the fact that Joker can get, you know, people to score around him and he can get, you know, his points as well. But he does not have the same impact nor the same dominance that I see from game to game from some of these 
from some of these centers that I've seen offense at the offensive side of the ball. I just haven't seen it. But analytically, they would make the argument, no, 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 you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Forget what your eyes are saying. Look at what Joker's doing. He's, he's not only going out and getting, you know, his 25 points a game, he's also getting, like, eight assists, and it's like, yeah, no. Like, like for example, if, like if Shaq. You're talking, if you're talking analytics, they wouldn't use assists as uh, an argument. Oh, they wouldn't. So, 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 assists would be off the table. Right, but he is the best playmaking center of all time. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that a thousand percent. I agree with that a thousand percent. But let's go to your point real quick. Let's take assists out. Well, then we're talking about offensive players. I'm taking a key. Yeah, yeah, Daryl, because you already know where I'm going with this. So I'm taking Shaq. I'm taking over him as well. I agree. I would, I would, t- I would also take Patrick Ewing over him if, if it wasn't for assists. I would, I would, and I can't even pull up. Uh, and, and well, I mean, assists are part of offense, though. They would, they wouldn't use the assists, but they would still talk about his playmaking, his box creation, his his on ball creation, his advantage creation. Like Patrick Ewing could never do that. Offensive. <laughs> Daryl, Daryl, ask another question. Hold on, I need to see something real quick. <laughs> I mean, there's Hakeem. How do you think he compares to Hakeem? I mean, who would you you would say who? How many offensive centers would you say are, were better offensive centers than uh, Nikola Jokic right now for you, Eli? I'd say two. Okay, who's the two? Shaquille O'Neal and Will Chamberlain. No. Okay. No, not on offense. What? Oh, what? Okay, fine. You said offensive center? Didn't Bill Russell shoot like forty-five percent from the field? Okay, fine. So no. So even if I don't take him, I would still take Shaq. So that's three people. I would take a team. I would take yeah. I would yeah. So so we so we agree. Will Chamberlain, Kareem. We're gonna go Akeem. I'm going to go Shaq, and then I'm also going to go Moses Malone. Um. I'm, I'm gonna. Well, I, I, I personally would. Um, would I go David Robinson? Nick, I mean, I don't know. Probably, probably not. Probably not. Patrick Ewing. I personally would. I would personally. Um, and that's and that's about it. That's about it uh, in terms of just offense. And just in terms of just offense in general. So you're not giving a lot of credence to the assist, to the ability to play make. Well, no, I didn't. Ha- well, I didn't have to because. Well, no. His point is though that they would still mention that that he's a playmaker, uh, that he gets other people more efficient shots. That the you know what I mean. Right. Right. What I'm saying is they don't wouldn't use assist, the assist stat to demonstrate his playmaking. It's not an, it's not a good stat. Assist per game is not a good stat. Th- uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So then by that. So then by that. By like for example, like. Russell Westbrook averages a lot of assists, but a lot of people wouldn't say he's a great passer. So, assist is a measure of passing, in my opinion, but passing is not playmaking. There's no, that's not the, it's part Can you explain the difference, Eli? So, the defensive thing, okay, let's use Jason Tatum against the Nets so far as an example. He, actually no, let's use Steph Curry. Because he's the best off-ball playmaker there has ever been. So, Steph Curry, everybody knows he's got this insane scoring gravity. Three guys chase chase him when he doesn't even have the ball in his hands, when he's running around on off-ball screens. So, because of the scoring gravity he has, he's creating open shots for other teammates just by running around trying to get open himself. That's, that's making plays. That's playmaking. It's not just passing, it's, it's creating open shots for others. Also, assists don't take into consideration when you create an open shot for a teammate, you pass it to him, and he misses the shot. That should not count against the person who gave him the ball. Or then if you, you know, you pass it to somebody and it's like right at the end of the shot clock uh, and you pass it to somebody who's not a good shooter, it's really not, the, you know, the best decision to make, but then he makes it and it still counts for you. Right, I mean, there's a, there's a stat that uh, if you guys know who Ben Taylor is from Thinking Basketball, 
he has a website called Backpicks, and he created this stat called Box Creation, and it's open looks created per 100 possessions. And uh, it's behind a paywall, so I can't see it because I haven't paid for it. But I know that uh, the past two years... Have you paid for it, Silas? Huh? Have you paid for it? Have I paid for it? Oh, okay, I was joking. Yeah. Keep going, Eli. Keep going. Well, I haven't paid for it. I'm guessing he hasn't, but the past <laughs> two years, Luke Bounce has said that the NBA in box creation, which is, again, it's open books created per 100 possessions. I mean, I think, you know, Ben Simmons is another example. Ben Simmons, he can pass. He's a good passer, but he's not a good playmaker. He's not a good playmaker at all. Now, how would you feel to that, Silas, when you're saying, okay, there's more than just the quote-unquote... You know how I feel about Ben Simmons. You no, I'm just talking about just in general the assist versus there's a bunch of different ways to look at the assist. Um, well, I feel like we should pay more credence to decision-making instead of assist-padding. You know what I mean? It's the assist stat. Yeah, yeah decision-making. Box creation is, is, is a measure of decision-making in a way. I and I and I would agree with that. I, I have no I have no problem with that whatsoever. The issue that I have is when we put a blanket statement over analytics itself and say, Hey, analytically this person's better than, than this individual here but then we say but don't but don't but don't pay attention to what you're seeing on tape though. That doesn't matter. think that's what the media was doing with Nikola Jokic? I'll go for the same person who doesn't watch the games and looks at the box score. Right? Like I hate I hate box score watching. I hate box score watching. Oh, well, I mean, I, we disagree because I, I do like the box score. Oh, okay, so So Silas, you told me this and maybe that was a hyperbole you were using, but you can tell me right now if it was. You said all you need is that uh box score. That's what you yes, need. Yes, that was hyperbole. But yes, I but I'm not but I, but I do have to admit I said that and, and not only that, I'll take it a step further. I definitely think that uh, I definitely think that the that the that the box score and just really that that stat sheet in general tells you a lot. For example, field goal percentage, um, that tells me a lot. Uh, regard, I, I think offensive rebounds that tells me a lot. So when so like that sheet of paper when they go to the press conference and they have that sheet of paper that says what the you know what the other team did, what the opposing team did, as opposed to what you did in terms of you know points, assists, steals. Um, I'm not, maybe that's not, I mean, points definitely matter to me, you know, who, who are your superstars, you know, putting up the numbers that they need to be putting up. I need to know how much the bench was scoring. So I definitely feel like that's important bench numbers. And then what I would also say is I need to know who won the turnover battle, who had offensive rebounds. So yes, that sheet definitely well, matters I, to me I, for I, sure. I agree. I agree with that, with watching the box score from a team perspective. But you cannot tell if a player had a good game or not by just looking at the box score. Oh well, of course. Well, no. I think you. I think you could to some to some degree. For example, if I see that, for example, Steph Curry um, 
let's see, he scored 50 on, on, on let's say, 45% shooting, I don't really need to know anything else to know that that was a great game. I mean, unless you tell me that he turned over the ball 10 times, which I still would be able to see that on that specific sheet of paper. So I, I definitely think that you could tell me. I, I, I think points. I think the, I think in order to decide if a person had a good scoring game, you would have yeah. to at least be able to see the field goal percentage. You can tell they had a good scoring game, but you can't tell if they had a good all-around game by just looking at the box score. I agree with that a thousand percent. But if anybody told me that they scored forty-five points and on on forty-five percent. Uh, uh, shooting, and then you're telling me, okay, but defensively they got torched up. I mean, unless you're telling me that they gave up 45 points, uh, I mean, you, they probably had a pretty good game. You're they probably had a pretty good game. You're describing Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was I shots fired. I've never made the argument that Donovan Mitchell's bad player, by the way. <laughs> I'm not about to sit here and say Donovan Mitchell's a bad player. We that is hyperbole to say that that man gave up 45 points though. And once again, I want to thank Silas and Eli for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 427th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.